Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Thank you so much for tuning in. Everyone that is listening all around the world, it's pretty crazy to me to think that like somewhere around like 17% of our listening base is in the United States, which is like crazy to think that so much of the percentage is international. I finally feel like I've decoded the mystery on how people are finding it. And it's through the keywords and the tags that I'm putting on the episodes. I used to put those on there and not known what I was doing or why I was doing it. Yeah. But now I'm figuring out the key words that I'm putting in. You mean for when people are searching for a podcast? Yeah. Gotcha. They can just, if they search that, then it'll come up. So um, that pretty much showed me why people are finding it in random locations, so... Now, typically, in, I mean, since we've started the podcast, you've given us an update on some statistics. Yes. So we have now crossed the 4,000 listen mark, which uh, another big milestone. It's just at this point, it's almost like we're, we're adding 1,000 just about every, uh, every two weeks. Man, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. Um, I'm going to be, uh, I've been doing a lot of brainstorming on how to uh, increase those numbers even more um, to just try and continue to spread the word about this podcast. I really have been zeroing in on just like why people need to listen to this podcast. And for me, it's all about completing the puzzle. Like every band is a piece. Some pieces are more important than others. Some pieces have a more important part of the picture. Others are kind of like, you know, those when you do a puzzle and there's like the section that you always do last where it's just the blue sky. Yeah. <laughs> because you do all the all the colors first. Um, there's some artists that are like that, but there's still an important piece that help complete the entire picture. And so um, if you have any kind of love for music or – you um, have just a desire to know how everything fits together, then this is the podcast for you to not just talk about why we think an artist is cool, but to really see, like, where do they fit in the grand story of music? And so um, that's that's what I feel like is a big component in, that this podcast is bringing. Now, we've also got a couple ways in which our listeners can – interact with the podcast yes so um whatever platform you're listening on please subscribe we do see a lot of those statistics on kind of who's subscribing it lets us know kind of what our audience size is so um if you're checking us in for the first time and you like what you're uh listening to just hit the subscribe button it'll let you know when we have a new episode which is uh every monday morning except for uh our Iron Maiden episode actually accidentally came out a day early. I put that in the calendar <laughs> uh, as as on a Sunday instead of a Monday. But yeah, good bonus it's for given, you. Given a little boost, hit the subscribe button, and uh, also if you'll check out in the description, there's a link there to um, help support financially our podcast. We have some um, some goals that we're trying to hit as far as um, being able to. Uh, get some new equipment, get some research materials, and just give us the ability to devote more 
time to this because we want to add some different things to this podcast. So we would like to be able to have um, a goal to hit by the end of the year or so. If this is a channel that you really like and you want to hear more from us and you want to see us grow, then please click on the link in the description. It'll show you exactly how to find how to do that. And it's not a very large donation. It would just be, you know, like $2 a month, which um, is not a very big commitment. So if that's something that you feel like you want to do, then that's in the description there. And also leave us a review. We want to know what you guys think. We want to know what songs you guys want to hear, what bands you guys want to hear. Um, really, all of this is just kind of an effort to provide the best listening experience that we can with this podcast. Absolutely. So... As always, music plays such a huge role in our world today, and there's always something happening. And so, as you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees were just announced. Yes, and a big controversy arose, and uh, this is one that got me personally very upset. In the past, the Rock Hall has very famously left out key members of certain bands from inclusion. And why is that? Uh, It depends on kind of what contribution they made, what albums they were featured on, if they were um, part of what they would call the classic lineups. So what you're saying is just because you were on the band doesn't mean you could necessarily be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Um, And there's been some very controversial decisions made in the past of people that perhaps were instrumental in the beginning part of the band but weren't around when the band made it big or band members that have been there for a long time but never got to contribute to the early uh, essential albums. And so in some instances, this makes sense because you can't always get to be, you know, in the band. Like if let's say you've been with a band for the last 10 years that had a 40-year career. Yeah, you've dedicated a good part of your life to the band, but you know, you did not do anything that merited you being in the Hall of Fame. So in this instance, what were you up in arms up? So in this case, um, with Motorhead's nomination, there were two key members that were left off of the ballot, and that was guitarist Phil Campbell and drummer Mickey D. And so why is this such a big deal? Motorhead has always been a power trio, and there's only been one constant member being in the band, and that's bassist and lead singer Lemmy Kilmister. Lemmy passed away at the end of 2015, and when that happened, the band passed away with him. There's no Motorhead doesn't exist anymore because he was Motorhead. Of course, Lemmy was nominated along with the two other founding members, which was Fast Eddie Clark, who's the guitar player, and Phil, Filthy Animal Taylor, who was the drummer. What a name. Yes. They made some of the most important albums of Motorhead's career, including Overkill, Bomber, and Ace of Spades. But Clark left the band in 1982 after the album Iron Fist. And Phil Campbell joined in 1984 and was in the band for 31 years, all the way up until Lemmy's death in 2015. And then Mickey D joined as a drummer in 92, and he also stayed with the band until 2015. So besides Lemmy, D and Campbell were the band's longest tenured members, and they were part of some of Motorhead's best 80s and 90s albums. Their exclusion from nomination was a really, really puzzling one. And the members themselves were even talking about just like, hey, hold on a minute. We weren't just like new guys that recently came into the band. We've been here longer than anyone besides Lemmy was. And they're incredible, incredible players. And so a lot of fans were furious. And then finally, a few days ago, 
the Rock Hall amended this oversight and added them to the ballot. So what you're saying is not only are those two going to be on the ballot, but the other two people that they nominated as well? Yes, so they're not gotcha. like rep- they're not replacing them. They're just getting added to. I got gotcha. you. Originally, those were the only three people that made it. Was the original lineup. So it also means that we may get a partial Motorhead reunion should they get into the hall. Mickey D has said that if Motorhead gets accepted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that they will play a couple of songs. Obviously, they'll just be missing their leader, but might be the last Motorhead any kind of thing that we ever see again. So who would sing vocals then? For we them? don't know. A lot of times in these situations where a key member has passed away, some other musician, a lot of times the person who inducts them in will come up and play with them, but they haven't announced who that'd be. Obviously, they won't announce it until it's official that Motorhead does get in, which I think that they have a very good chance to. Okay. Well, in case you guys missed it on our last episode, Lucas actually gave what he thought were going to be the nominees. Yes, I did. So, uh... Check out that episode. It was our episode on Slayer. Listen to that episode and you'll get to hear my picks on who I think is going to get in. And we'll see how uh, close I am by the time that comes around. And I did find out that it is in January. Okay. So I think it's January. January 2020 is when we'll find out. They didn't give us a specific day, but normally it's in December, which is a little surprising. We're going to have to wait a little bit longer. I already want to know who's going to get in. All right. That takes us into our band for this week, probably one of the most legendary prog rock bands. I wouldn't even call them a prog rock band. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll explain why a little bit later. Um, definitely a very big influence on prog. Sure. But they don't quite carry the hallmarks of a prog band, but absolutely one of the most legendary bands of all time. And that band is... The Who. The Who. Another British band. Oh, yeah. Part of the original British invasion. Interesting. Yeah. So they came pretty soon after the Beatles did. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year year after. So they were, they were part of that. They were really kind of the last ones to jump over before the British invasion was kind of cemented as Who came over. They were kind of among the last ones to... To jump on over. Now, I'm sure most people around would probably know The Who, but who exactly is The Who? So there haven't been just four members, but there's really only four members of The Who. There's, you've got your four key members, and all four of these are among the most legendary to ever uh, be at their craft. You've got Pete Townsend, who was their guitar player, he also was the one that programmed all of the keyboards and synths and pianos that you would hear throughout the Who's music. And he was their primary songwriter. Pete Townsend is a gigantic figure in rock and roll music. He was kind of the first guitar player to really like make it a show. His signature move is his windmill where he plays and it's like yeah. a complete circle around. And just he was the first one to like smash guitars on stage and just kind of invented that aspect of how rock and roll musicians behave. He was kind of just like this crazy guy that you didn't know what he was going to do next. And then just incredible and one of the greatest songwriters to ever live. 
He sang too a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, he also did some lead vocals here and there. Well, uh, when we talk about the songs, I'll I'll pick out what parts that he uh, contributes. Next, we have Roger Daltrey, who is the lead singer. Right now, he actually does not play an instrument in the band, so he is primarily just he stands up on the stage with his microphone. But man, does he use that microphone? Just like Pete Townsend has a signature move, Roger Daltrey has a signature move with his microphone. So he's got a corded microphone, and he takes it and he, like, swings it around like a lasso and just does all of these crazy tricks and always is able to throw it up in the air and catch it. And it's just amazing that he never, like, completely clonks himself in the head or <laughs> hits someone else. Which I'm sure he has, but we never see it. Of course. Um, but, yeah, he he definitely makes up for not having an instrument he definitely gets as much as he can out of his microphone incredible incredible vocalist um and among the the first rock and roll singers to really add that grit to their singing and so he was very much a pioneering vocalist in that aspect and then we have john entwistle on the bass, one of the greatest bass players to ever live. I mean, like, seriously. He's someone that I never heard about before until about a couple years ago. And then I started, like, coming across all these articles and best of lists, and they always featured John Inwell. So I was just like, never really noticed, like, some crazy bass playing from him. But then I went back and listened, and man, that guy just kicks the crap out of the bass. And he is, like, the one stoic member of the band. Like, when he's on stage, he pretty much just stays completely still and just has, like, this uh, this vacant look on his face. Just kind of like he's the, he's the calm amongst the storm that is the who. And he does contribute lead vocals sparingly, not very often, but he would at times. And he... When I really realized the extent of his skill and his contributions, just was like, oh, man, John N. was completely uh, integral to what the Who were. And who do we have on the drums? Keith Moon. Moon the Loon. Keith Moon is, is a legend unto his own. I would say he's one of the few rock and roll drummers that could legitimately take the crown of greatest rock and roll drummer of all time. He is a force behind the kit. He has a very, very loose style. He is not known for like a big thundering sound, but just the fact that his the number of fills that he uses and his insane playing, and he's always like making these crazy faces while he plays and um, putting explosives in his drum kit to go off at the end of the show. And he was kind of the first rock and roll drummer to really like show what rock and roll drums could be like. Cause all the other British invasion drummers were just like keeping the beat and not doing anything fancy or complicated. And immediately from the get go, Keith Moon was just pounding away and playing all these crazy fills and kind of like started a whole new wave of rock and roll drumming. He was kind of the first to show that um, drums isn't just a background instrument. It's a lead instrument that commands attention. 
in the way that jazz drummers had already been doing, but kind of took that um, that attitude of jazz drumming and put it into rock and roll. So those are the four members of The Who. Other members have uh, been in the band, but those are the four that you need to know about. And what are some of the defining characteristics of The Who? You can't talk about The Who and not talk about their invention of what was called the rock opera. And so this is where um, the are they progressive thing comes into play. Because The Who were never content with just writing a pop song. They could, and in the beginning of their career they did. But kind of as they started to mature, uh, Pete Townsend wanted to wanted to tell these sprawling tales and he wanted to do it in the same way that that an opera would and just figured out a way for his music to tell this big story and so when you talk about the who you have to include their incredible storytelling and their ambition to create these big overblown epic rock uh compositions because when tommy came out in 1969 the concept album hadn't really been done in that way before. Yes, there were some very loose concept albums that came before, including some by The Who, but Tommy was like the first major rock and roll record to like actually have a story, to have characters, to have reprising themes that come in and out of the narrative, and for it to actually make sense as you're listening to it. Like you can listen to it and you're not like I mean, it's not completely clear, but, like, you know what's going on. It's not, like, veiled in tons of metaphor and there's all this lore that you have to, like, figure out in order to understand it. Like, you you get the main gist of it just from one listen if you're paying attention. Now, just like in every other band, I'm sure there's a gradual ascension into their their sound and where they went. So how, yes. did, they, how did they start, really? So they were part of the British Invasion, like I said. So what the British Invasion was, was when the Beatles came to America in 1964. They were like the first British band to ever really make it big into America. And once the other bands in England saw what the Beatles had done, they're just like, well, now we need to go over to America too and and get our careers up in the big time. So that's when the Rolling Stones came over, the Animals, the Kinks, and The Who, those are kind of like the five big ones. There were other bands that came, but those are like the five that most people will remember today. And so The Who were among the last. They had their debut album come out in 1965. And while they do definitely share a lot of similarities to what the Beatles were doing, you could tell that there was just something different about them. You could tell that they were probably the best pure musicians of that whole group. Like when you listen to The Rolling Stones... You're not as much listening for, like, incredible guitar playing or incredible drumming. The Rolling Stones are more of, like, the sum is greater than the parts. Like, it's when they come together, it all of a sudden makes this incredible thing. Even the Beatles, Beatles' greatest songwriters of all time, and except for maybe Paul McCartney, not, like, the greatest at their instruments, per se. They did enough for what they needed, but they weren't, like, blowing people's minds going, Oh my gosh, did you see how fast he played? Oh, I can't believe that inc- that crazy solo that he just let out. People didn't say that about the Beatles. It was more about the songwriting. When The Who came out, immediately that their first um, big hit, My Generation, contains an a cr- incredible bass solo, tons of um, fast drum fills, 
And you could just tell, even hearing on this first album, that The Who was destined to kind of um, be incredible instrumentalists. And as that progressed, you could see that jumping up more and more and more. Uh, The second album came out in 66 called A Quick One. And there's a song on there called uh, Cobwebs and Strange that is like a guitar-drum battle. And... The, how fast both of them are playing on their instruments is, like, mind-blowing. You should go and check out that song sometime. It's called Cobwebs and Strange. So then what comes after that? After that is, in my opinion, when they really start to become The Who, and that's The Who Sell Out. That was their first stab at a concept album, even though it's not a full-blown story. The concept of that album is that, like, you're listening to a radio show, and, like, there's fake commercials that they put in between a lot of the songs, and you, you know, in between songs, you'll randomly hear like a, a radio announcer say, you are listening to London, England radio, stay tuned. And then like a song will play. So it's kind of like you're listening to the radio the whole time. That's like the concept of the record. And a really interesting title. Yes. It's, it's very satirical because at that time, a lot of musicians were being recruited by companies to write jingles and like say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I use a... This acne pimple cream, you should too. The cover of that album is just so hilarious because you can tell they're just completely making fun of that notion. But that's kind of when they really start to get to that next level of thought of what they're putting into their albums, of not just making an album full of great songs, but like trying to unite them in a common theme. And then in 69 is when Tommy comes out. In my opinion, that's like, the first true Who album as far as that contains everything that the Who is known for. And even with it being a rock opera, it's still got tons of great, concise pop songs, as well as some lengthy instrumental compositions. And the um, the melodies are just so great throughout the whole record. But it was kind of when they were able to separate themselves from the rest of the music scene at that time, and it's just kind of like, oh, this is something different. And they were kind of able to really make their mark with Tommy. And then after that, you've got Who's Next, which is like their most well-known record. Right. Which was originally supposed to be a concept album, but it didn't quite work out. Um, Pete Townsend just couldn't get the concept to work and to make it in a way where everyone else could understand. Like the rest of his band had no idea what he was trying to say. And so he was just like, uh screw it, the songs are really good, we'll just make an album of all of these songs that were supposed to be part of a story. And so it's kind of interesting to listen to Who's Next and kind of try and see if you can figure out if you can put a story together by arranging the different pieces. So at this point, I mean, they're one of the biggest bands in the world. When Who's Next came out, that was like when they just, they reached the top of their game. Like, they were making the best music. Their live show was at its pinnacle. Right before Who's Next came out, they released Live at Leeds, which is considered one of the greatest rock live albums of all time. And it deserves it. It's a pretty dang good live record. And that's kind of when we reached Peak Who. But that wasn't the last great Who record. We had Quadrophenia that came out after that. And that was another full-blown rock opera. I would say that was probably the last great Who record. After that, the rock and roll lifestyle, the touring, the constant writing, 
really took a toll on the band. The follow-up album, Who by Numbers, was considered definitely a lesser output. And then we had Who Are You come out in 78, which was pretty much a failure except for the for the hit title track. And then Keith Moon passed away. And that kind of like completely derailed the band. So Keith Moon um, was definitely the substance abuser in the band. Um, Pete Townsend was very sh- straight edge. He did not like drugs. He did not like the rock and roll lifestyle, but Keith Moon did. And he actually died while trying to get sober on his own. And he died during that detox process because he didn't give himself the right dosage of the medication he was supposed to. He gave himself too much and it killed him. And so once that happened, the Who were never the same. They released a couple more albums after that with a new drummer, but it was just kind of like the Who's done at this point. And then John Entwistle passed away in the early 2000s. And so now we've only got two members left, Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, who are still out on tour right now. As the Who? As the Who. Crazy. And they they say they've even got a new album that's about to come out, the first one since, like, 2006. Man. So props to them. I hope it's good. In my opinion, the main period you want to look at for the Who is from the Who sell out all the way to Quadrophenia. That's kind of like prime Who right there, those four records. And that's what compromises our list. For the most part, yeah, with one outlier. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to get into our list of songs of the legendary The Who. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. Today, we are talking about the legendary band, The Who, one of the most influential rock groups of all time. And, of course, another British band, as we previously pointed out. And we've got six great songs for you that kind of cross a pretty wide spectrum, I guess, of their Yeah, they do. We don't really delve into the really early period of The Who, and we don't delve into the much later period of the who we kind of sit right in that classic period which in your opinion of course is is that album run of who sell out tommy who's next and quadrophenia although we don't have anything from quadrophenia on this one instead we we pull something from who are you so if you've never listened to this podcast before what we're doing is we're picking six songs that serve as an introduction to the band so let's say you've never heard the who before um, what would be six songs that would give you a really good idea of who this band is, while also at the same time um, creating a strong narrative and emotional flow from start to finish. So I'm not just picking the six most popular songs. I'm not just picking my six favorite songs or what I think their six best songs are. Rather, I'm trying to pick a set of songs that both introduces you to the band as well as give you an emotional satisfying journey from start to finish and if you've never listened to these songs before 
In the description of the episode are instructions to find my Spotify playlist that has all of these songs in the correct order on them. So please make sure that you go check those out, especially if you've never heard these songs before. But even if you have heard these songs before, um, go listen to them in the order that they're in. You might gain a new perspective or appreciation from them. And um, please leave us a comment uh, of if our your favorite Who song made it into the episode. Uh, if your favorite episode didn't make onto it, we will definitely come back to the Who. Uh, just let us know what song you would like us to hit next. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into the first song on this list. How do you pronunciate this? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it's Baba O'Reilly. Okay. So um, to me, there's no better way to start the, the Who than with this song. This is one of their most identifiable, sure. recognizable songs, and there's no better starting point. I think this is one of my favorite intros to a song, just with that synth, arp, and then those piano hits. Yeah, it's very epic. And props to Pete Townsend for figuring out how to create that keyboard loop. Yeah. Because that was very revolutionary for its time. 1971 was when this album came Man, out. This is before the... 80s invasion of synth. Oh yeah, like this was this was kind of a a shocking sound to hear in in the beginning of the 70s. So he definitely was ahead of his time in kind of coming up with these ideas on with synths and keyboards. I wonder how they played this live with that. So that was another thing they really pioneered was playing along with a tape. Interesting. So they actually said that they hated it. Um, because it meant that they had to stay very rigid to the tempo. Sure. Um, and Keith Moon had to have big can earphones on so that way he could hear what was happening. And that was not happening back in those days. Like no, Other bands not. were not doing that. <laughs> um, other bands were not coming up with music that needed it. Or the band that was coming up with music that did that would have been the Beatles weren't playing live at that time. They had already broken up definitely by 71, but even in the late 60s when they were making all of their really experimental music, they were not concerned about having to play live. Yeah. The Who are known as a live band. So they, when a song that very prominently features synths like that becomes a big hit, you got to play it live. And so they definitely paved the way by making a lot of mistakes. They said that that tape machine had some kind of error happen to it just about every night. <laughs> and But then they kind of figured out how to correctly use it over time. That's so crazy how just, I mean, you know, you and I are both musicians and we're both used to playing with tracks. Uh-huh. Just how the progression of of that has changed. I mean, still similar Issues to face, like, you know, the drummer has to wear a pair of headphones. And mm -hmm. now we have in-ears. And it's so crazy to me, like, that's how it was done. Yeah. The and they called it tape. <laughs> yeah, like, it was the actual tape from the studio. Right. Like, it was the master tape that you just put... I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Because, I mean, you didn't have the way to just... You didn't just hit play in a digital version of it would start playing. Right. You had to worry about a tape machine behaving correctly. And I wonder how that was routed because the audio guy had to have a feed and then but then the band also <laughs> had to have had a feed. Just so interesting how technology like how people did it back then. Mm -hmm. Cuz now it's just I mean, now it's 
kind of easy, really. You just plug this in here, plug this in there, and okay, we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, they definitely had to think creative whenever they were talking about putting on these songs live. Also, what a great vocal performance. Yes. Um, so obviously this was meant to be a chapter of a larger story. Whether or not this would have been the first song, if this was the concept album or not, I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter. What a great intro song. And yeah, Roger Daltrey just completely kills it on this song. But then you've also got a great little snippet of Pete Townsend when he says, don't cry, don't raise your eyes, it's only teenage wasteland. Speaking of, there is a legion of people out in the world that think this song is named Teenage Wasteland. Interesting. And it's not true. Like, there's so many people that I've seen over the years that are like, I've never heard of the song Bubba O'Reilly. And then they play and they go, wait, this is Teenage Wasteland. <laughs> like, no, that's not what it's called, even though that's the word that they say over and over again. Well, I think the song is about teenagers just being drugged out of their mind, right? Yeah. I mean, when you remove it from the story that it was supposed to be in, that it's kind of like about the perspective of someone that's finally come out of their teenage years mm. and they're seeing what the teenagers are now because, again, Pete Townsend was very anti-drugs. And so he's not commenting on them being wasted as a good thing. He's, you know, right. he was very much against, you know, people being wasted. Well, speaking of stories, this gets us into our next song from The Who, and that is Pinball Wizard. Pinball Wizard. One of the strangest uh, songs to become a hit as far as topics are concerned. I mean, is this song really about a pinball champion? Yeah. So the story of Tommy, kind of the, the story that's told through the whole thing, is that you've got this boy named Tommy who experiences a very traumatic event early in his life. And his mother constantly tells him, you never saw what happened, you never heard what happened, and you'll never talk about what happened. And in a sense, it turns him deaf, dumb, and blind. So whenever people say dumb, it means he's mute. Yeah. And so the whole thing is that he he is that way because of, like, from trauma, not because he had any kind of degenerative disease that made him that way. But so he lives his entire life through touch and through vibration, what he calls vibration land. And everyone in his life is cruel to him. And pinball is kind of like the one thing he goes to as like an escape from all of the terrible stuff that's going on in his life. He like just goes off into the corner and just plays pinball and just can feel where the ball is on like the vibrations of the Mm. machine. I wonder if that kind of explains just, like, the pace of the way that, especially the acoustic guitar comes in Mm -hmm. and just how that kind of carries through the song. Yeah, it's a really great demonstration of Pete Townsend's incredible guitar playing. Yeah, for sure. Um, No one was really playing guitar like that at that time. And it comes, like, panned in, like, when it starts. Uh Uh-huh. Which is really interesting. Yeah, and then you got that electric guitar come Mm -hmm. in in the other side. And, yeah, so... This song was actually not meant to be part of the album. It was a last-minute addition. Classic. Oh, yeah. We, we talk about that all the time on this podcast. And it ends up becoming the biggest hit on the album and one of the biggest hits of their career. And uh, whenever I was younger, 
and I played video games all the time. My mom used to call me the pinball wizard, and I never, I hadn't heard that song, and so I'd be like, "What does that mean?" She's just like, "It's from an old song." Yeah. And then I, uh, I finally heard the song, and was just like, "Oh, that's what she's talking about." Did you ever tell your mom that that you finally realized what she was talking about? Uh, I think so because I remember it was the the time when I finally first heard it was on the Rock Band 2 game. Mm. I remember I was telling my mom all the songs, and I was just like, oh, and Pinball Wizard is on it. And she laughed about that. Well, this song also has some great gang vocals. Yeah. And a lot of great back and forth from Pete and Roger on the, how do you think he does? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I love kind of like... That back and forth, that almost narrative structure of the song it mm-hmm. definitely makes it, if you're really listening to the lyrics, it definitely makes it really interesting. Yeah, and it's from the perspective of someone that wishes that he was as good as Tommy. Like he's saying, uh, I I used to be the pinball champion, but I just gave my pinball crown to him. <laughs> and like he's just, he's saying he broke my favorite table. His disciples lead him in and he just does the rest. He's got crazy flipper fingers, never seen him fall. That deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. Some great writing right there. Oh, yeah. Pete Townsend, again, one of the great writers of all time. All right, that gets us into our next song, I Can See for Miles. I Can See for Miles. So this is off of the Who sellout. And this is the oldest that we get on this list. But I really, really love this song. This was kind of... For me, a song that just signaled where the Who were about to go. And this song's pretty heavy for that time period. Yes. In fact, there's a great story to that. So at the time when this album came out and this single became a huge hit for them, Rolling Stone magazine cited it as the heaviest song ever written. Let's see. At that point, this is pre-heavy metal. When did this come out? 67. So was this even before Helter Skelter? Yes. Wow. So Paul McCartney read that article and said, "Ha, huh, I could write a song heavier than that and wrote <laughs> Helter Skelter as a response to them saying that I Can See for Miles was the heaviest song ever written. Interesting. <laughs> I'm so glad that you were kind of connecting those dots for me. That's so funny. So, yeah, that's that's why Helter Skelter was written, not because Paul McCartney had something to say, but because he wanted to outdo the who in writing the heaviest song ever made. Man, it's so funny. When I first listened to this song, like, you can really tell just, I mean, the early influence of just, where metal and and hard rock would eventually come from. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that the vocals are probably the most unheavy part of it. Yeah. It's it's what gives it its kind of creepiness. Yeah, there's some really interesting vocal harmonies in in the song that just kind of like gives you that that creep factor for sure. Mm -hmm. Like just the whole song being about you know, I I don't think they're literally talking about a guy that has magical sight. But pretty much just kind of telling this girl, it's just like, you can't hide anything from me. I know what you're doing. Yeah. I can see what you're doing for miles. Okay, I have to talk to you about the ending of the song because what the heck? Yeah, so that's one of the, the fake commercials that they made for the album. Okay. Uh, so it's they're talking about like, a, like an exercise program. The Charles Atlas course will turn you into a beast of a man. And so it's just they did all kinds of little uh, funny commercials. Like they do one for Heinz Baked Beans. That's really funny. 
they do one for a deodorant. Like they actually make a whole song out of it. And wow. you think it's like a love song the whole time. And the, the story is this lady that's trying to uh, get a kiss from the man that she's been obsessed with. And she is just about to get that kiss. And then he turns away from her in disgust. And the last line is, she should have worn Odorono. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you realize, oh, this was a commercial this whole time. I wonder how much money they've made from doing this. Well, they actually kind of got in trouble with it because they used all of those without permission. Because uh, there wasn't there wasn't ever a precedent really set for that. Before. I guess that's true. Yeah, copyright wasn't really a thing. Back yeah, then. <laughs> they they uh, the Who kind of made a lot of mistakes for people to learn off of in the early days, mm. and so. Um, but yeah, that's what the Charles Atlas thing at the end is. Gotcha. But I I really love having that on the end because I feel like it actually gives a really great. Um, transition into the fourth song. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a great reset to get us into probably my favorite Who song of all time, mm-hmm. Who Are You? Just with the way how like this guitar intro, love the gang vocals, and of course these great drum fills throughout the whole song. Yeah. This is one of their greatest moments, which is sad because it came at like when the band was like at their lowest point. Mm. Like they were finding themselves irrelevant at this point. Um, they hadn't had a really big hit in a while. They'd had some minor hits, but not anything really big since, you know, Quadrophenia. And, you know, Keith Moon was really struggling at that time. There's a famous clip of him on stage like passing out on his drum kit because he just took a horse tranquilizer. Oh my gosh. Um, that's just how like out of it he was and like his drum playing was just failing. And so it was just kind of like amazing that he got, we got this one last performance out of him. And there even I think I read that it was the last song they recorded for the album. So it actually is his last performance before he died. And I think it for me like one of the greatest yeah. drum performances of it all was time. just yeah that's kind of the amazing thing is that they were they were able to get that out of him in a if you like if you listen to the rest of the album the drumming's not that great and then you look at the live shows leading up to that point and you know it's it's kind of sad to see did they ever carry like an extra drummer like with them just in case no, because, I mean, no one could play like Keith Moon I guess could. that's true. He was kind of irreplaceable. That's why the band could never recover from it is because he truly was one of the few people that you just cannot get a replacement for. So that takes us into our fifth song, and quite a change from the rest of the songs, but Behind Blue Eyes. Yeah, so I wanted to have something that slows things down a little bit. This is an iconic song, though. Oh, Yeah. This was a this is a song that's almost in some ways a kind of a sleeper hit of theirs. Yeah. But I've been finding more and more that like people that don't know the Who very well know this song and love it. This was again a, supposed to be part of the failed rock opera that ended up becoming Who's Next, which that project was going to be called Lifehouse. Gotcha. And this song was meant to be from the perspective of the villain of the story. And so that's why he's saying no one knows what it's like to be the bad man, the sad man behind blue eyes. So he's just kind of talking about how it's it's hard to be the bad guy sometimes. You've got to be bad all the time, but it takes a toll on your soul. There's, you know, not all bad guys are gleefully evil. Is Townsend singing this song? No, he does not. This okay. is Roger But Daltrey. he wrote this yes. song. Yes. Okay. Yes, he did. 
And uh, I think this is one of Roger Daltrey's best vocal performances. Yeah. Especially when all the harmonies come in. Yes. And he goes into yes. that, that second part of the, but my dreams, they all is empty. That whole section is just incredible singing. And then we uh, we ratchet it up once we get oh, to yeah. the mid-tempo. Such an interesting turn of pace. I know, but it works. And, you know, it's so crazy because it, it goes on for a little bit and you almost kind of forget, like, where the song started. And then it's kind of really cool how they, like, bring it back yeah. to where it started. Just Just a little taste. Yeah. But then, in my opinion, that's just such a great setup. You have that behind blue eyes and it rings out and then you've got that first chord of won't get fooled again okay that's what i was going to ask about yeah so that's actually the sequence of how it goes on the album gotcha which is why i was just like this 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 sequencing works let's not break it up spoiler alert that takes us into our last song my favorite who song i could definitely guess that um won't get fooled again this was the first who song that i ever heard same here. And in my opinion, this is one of the few rock songs that is virtually perfect in every sense of the word. It is a perfect song. Fun fact. The first time I heard this song was because of CSI. I think that a lot of people heard that song <laughs> yeah. for the first time on CSI. <laughs> Which I think honestly is one of the reasons why I love CSI because I think almost all of them have a Who song as their theme song. Yeah. You've got the other one that's that sings Who Are You. Yeah. You've got Won't Get Fooled Again. I love watching people, like, make videos on YouTube of just, like, taking random videos. And it's like someone in the background just puts on sunglasses. Then you just hear that, yeah. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. But, yeah, again, another song meant for the Lifehouse project. This is definitely about, you know, the youth wanting change and a revolution, a bloody one if need yeah. be. And just resolving the fact that they ain't going to get fooled again. But the thing is, you'll always get fooled again. Because when we meet the new boss, he's just the same as the old boss. And this song has the best scream of any rock song. (laughs) Yeah, it's up there with like Dream On and I would have to think of some others. But it's definitely one of the best. He even does two of them. But that second one at the end, whew. Man. And... Also, I want to talk about the drums on this song. Yes, please. This, this such great drum work. In, this probably could be the greatest drum track in classic rock history, mm. as far as just what he did on one song. Like, if you if someone were to ask me, "Hey, I want to hear a song, a great classic rock song that's got some great drums in it," this is what I would put on. Yeah, because it's just it's. The song is almost like one giant fill. Yeah. But yet at the same time, it it doesn't feel like it's overplayed. Like it's interesting the entire time you're listening to it. And if you've never listened to this song, this song is a long song. Yeah, but you don't feel it. Like the, the song goes and you're not bored at any point. I love the ending breakdown when it comes to the drums and just the synth mm-hmm. and like... It kind of drum solo, yeah, in. and then it kind of just works like a reset because then they they get you back into to the song, yeah, and then of course the ending is so fitting. Oh yeah, and this this song has kind of like become their classic like final song of the night. Yeah, like like you can't end any other Who song without having won't get fooled again there because it's just like it's the best way to end. 
I think what's interesting too, similar to Bob O'Reilly, just like how this song starts off with this synth, like mm-hmm. really interesting synth. I watched a, a video of Pete talking about how he came up with the organ parts for this song and mm. about how he actually didn't like plan out before what he was going to play. He literally just started rolling the tape and was just kind of playing what he felt, that it wasn't pre-figured out, that he just kind of went with it and was just like, I, I don't think I could ever duplicate what I played on there because I just was yeah. in the moment just playing whatever notes I wanted to play. Gosh. And just had like, you know, he had a... Um, a delay on it to where, like, you know, he's not playing bup, 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 bup. Like, it's, he can hit other notes and they kind of, like, echo and create that, like, pulsing feel. But, I mean, again, and that, I was, like, I'm so ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. You don't hear any other rock and roll songs with keyboards like that in the early 70s. No. Not even close. Yeah. And the guitar playing is just legendary, legendary. on this song. The bass is incredible on this song. Um, I don't know if you know who Getty Lee is, but he's the bass player for Rush. And nope. he Getty is considered like one of the greatest bass players of all time. And I heard him say in an interview, the guy asked him, what's one song that you wish you could have written or played on? And he said, won't get fooled again. Mm. He's like, I wish that I could have been the bass player or the writer of that song more than any other. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's that's high praise right there. And that's just such a great fitting in for our list yeah. of the who. All the energy, all the the bombast, and the, the spectacle kind of just rolls all up into one song at the end. Yeah. And a fitting end, of course, just the way how it ends, just with the hits, mm-hmm. and then... And then it's done. And then it's done. All right. So those are our six songs of the legendary band, The Who. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to talk about the bonus song and our final thoughts. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about the legendary band, The Who, and we just wrapped up our six songs. Yeah, so just as a recap, what songs we talked about were Baba O'Reilly, Pinball Wizard, I Can See for Miles, who Are You, Behind Blue Eyes, and Won't Get Fooled Again. Remember, check out the description in the episode for the Spotify playlist so you can listen to those six songs. But we got one more song to talk about. That's right. If you have listened to us long enough or if this is your first time, you know that every week or you're about to find out that every week we typically do a bonus song. And the bonus song is... Let My Love Open the Door. Now, for our new listeners, Lucas, why do we have a bonus song? Because it's by Pete Townsend, the guitarist of The Who. That's a pretty easy connection. Uh, This was a pretty big hit for Pete. He didn't have a huge solo career, but this was kind of like a a very bright moment in that solo career. So uh, this song got a lot of radio play when it first came out and uh, gets played on classic rock radio quite often. And... 
I feel like this is a song is a really good uh, showcase for again his production of synths. Yeah. In the decade that they finally start to be used by just about everyone. Exactly. Because this was early '80s when this came out. It's so interesting because this. I mean, just thinking about Pete Townsend, like this. You know, you would think if you hadn't heard him in a while, you'd be like, surely this would sound like the Who. And this song is nothing. No, like the, who. the only thing that I that you kind of connect the tissue, obviously, besides his voice, which are on a lot of the Who's songs, um, is you can kind of tell that the the keyboard and synth lines are reminiscent of some older. Yeah. Specifically, um, this song heralds a lot back to the sound of Quadrophenia. Mm. When I listened to that album, I really was just like, okay, I I see where he was thinking with um, with Let My Love Open the Door. Yeah, this song is just such an 80s pop sound. And yeah. of course, fitting that the time would come to finally accept what he was offering. Yes. And it's not to say they didn't accept it before, but it was it was so normal at that point that he could really capitalize on it. But it's just a fun song. There's nothing complex about it. Yeah. It's just a it's a simple barely three minute long pop song and his voice really suits that kind of style because he doesn't have the gruff rock voice that Roger Daltrey has kind of has a bit more of a smoother pop song that's why a lot of the times he would sing the ballads on a lot of their albums yes because he just had that softer higher tone to his voice that pretty much wraps up our segment here about the who but before we finish, you wanted to share some final thoughts. Yeah. Well, I was hoping you would share your final thoughts. Well, I know a little bit about The Who. Obviously, we mentioned earlier, my introduction to them was through um, CSI, which I think for a lot of people is the same. But Had you ever heard the whole song before, or just the snippets that played on the um, show? I think I'd heard the songs before, but hearing the snippets is what um, kind of like confirmed it for me. It's just like, oh, like that's... That's The Who. But I think overall, I mean, The Who were just such an interesting band. I think you were right when you said that the level of musicianship was just off the charts. I yeah. mean, compared to the other British Invasion bands that were that came with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the most talented as far as oh, playing their definitely. instruments. And then to also be up there composition-wise with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, like I'd put them just about in the same league. And I think that's why that like my initial thought about The Who was just like, prog rock because i mean they just they were so complex with some of their compositions i mean they just they knew what they were doing so many great transitions um i mean especially through the drums and of course the guitar work was spectacular but just i mean what a what a band for to come at that that time period and then even just to be so innovative i mean i i think what probably a lot of people don't realize is that you know, besides like kind of spurring on this rock opera period, I mean they they really helped pioneer a lot of characteristics of rock music. I mean, yeah. the Marshall stack, mm-hmm. large PA's, um, of course the use of the synthesizer. I mean that was you know we've been saying this the whole time. Like to come out in the seventies with that is unheard of. I mean people didn't know what to do with themselves. And even just like, you know, stuff like guitar feedback and even like how they play power chords. I mean, Mm -hmm. the rhythm guitar in every The Who song stands out to me because it's like it it hadn't been done before. 
I mean, I guess ACDC had kind of carried with that, but I mean, The Who really kind of showcased not just the lead guitar. I mean, just from a rhythm section too, mm-hmm. it was just really kind of, at least for me, really pleasing to, to listen to. Yeah, and just also creating that... Um that wild rock and roll attitude on stage. Absolutely. The smashing of the guitars, the signature moves. No one had a signature move before the Who oh, came. Oh, wow. They were kind of the ones to start in, like having things that like only they did, like, you know, Pete Townsend's windmill guitar move and Roger Daltrey's microphone swinging and the the shtick of them destroying their instruments every night after their performance was done. Like, you know, that was not done before them, at least not in a consistent way. So there you have it. Those are my final thoughts. Do you have anything else, Lucas? Yeah. um, The Who, before I started doing my homework in preparation for this episode, I obviously knew who The Who were. I knew how important they were. You can't be a credible music historian and not know about the who but i had never really dug deep into them i never had like listened through all the albums and you know go and watch them live on youtube and um like actually see what their live act looked like and it really hooked me in like i would say i'm a much bigger who fan now and understand them so much more having prepared for this episode so um you guys are not the only ones that are learning and deepening your appreciation for these bands. It's happening to me too. Um, That's really the ultimate goal of this yeah. podcast, isn't it? Exactly. To uh, either introduce you to a band that you have never heard of before or to hopefully deepen your knowledge and your love for bands that you have heard of before. So... Um, for me, that absolutely happened. I am a much bigger Who fan. I'm going to listen to them casually a lot more than I used to. So I'm really glad we did this episode. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Who. If you like what you heard, um, please leave some comments in there or a review. We would love to interact with you guys and, and get to know your thoughts. And there's also a way in which you can actually hear these songs. Yeah, so... Uh, Again, in the description of the episode are instructions to find the Spotify playlist to not only the six Who songs, but also the bonus song as well. And um, also, if you'll look in the description, there's a link to help support this channel. Um, It'll allow us to do a lot more fun things in the future, so uh, please do that if you like what you're listening to. And uh, next week, we are going to look at um, a very, very successful 80s arena band. So please stay tuned for that next week. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Thank you, and keep on listening to good music.